So how on God's gray earth did this And this And even this become this. Detours and Outliers, the podcast where we take a look at that one album that sticks out in an artist's discography like a sore thumb. It may be their best album, it may be their worst album, but either way, it's that one album where the artist was so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Just a reminder, we're on Twitter and Instagram, and we have a Facebook group. Uh, Feel free to join the Facebook group and chat with us. We'll have anecdotal videos and whatnot posted. Um, We do have a website on the internet, which is on computers. And uh, this week on the panel, we have... Logan Renard. Matthew Marr. My name is Scott, and this week we have a special guest, uh, DJ for KTCL Channel 93.3, the Colorado Alternative and probably best known, at least amongst my friends, as the host of the Locals Only show, as well as Storytime with Alf. It is indeed Alf. And, uh... Hi there. Hey! We're still getting the hang of this whole virtual podcasting thing, but so far, so good. Um, this week, we will be discussing Animal Rights. Not the actual concept, but the album by Moby that came out on September 23rd, 1996. So I guess dive in. What do we think of Moby? Or do we think of Moby? Should we think of Moby? Who is Moby? <laughs> All important questions. Uh, do you want me to start? Because I, I can. Sure. Okay. Uh, Moby was... Um, I was first kind of made aware of Moby um, just before Animal Rights came out. Um, in the early into the mid-90s. This was back when EDM was known as techno and that kind of weird all-encompassing word that we... Had to keep changing every couple of years. Oh, yeah. House, Electronica. It, it had a couple of names. Right, right. And uh, I was aware that he was in that. And uh, so when we were told we were going to get a new Moby single and that the label was really excited about it, and this was just about the time that our station had started playing a few uh, electronic numbers you know, to go along with the latest hits by Live and, you know, yeah, uh, Smashing Pumpkins. Ah, oh, the um, 90s. Yes, ah, oh, the 90s, yes. 
um, w- w- that's what we were all expecting. You know, we were expecting, oh, we're going to get another kind of electro kind of number with a repeating figure that will, will repeat for four minutes and then fade out, but on the album will be 11 minutes long. That's kind of what we were expecting. Yeah. That is not what we got, as, as you all probably no. all know. Um, but yeah, that was kind of my, uh, it's like, okay, here we go. And no, we don't. Nope. It was, uh, it was a little bizarre, but you know, at the same time, the sound at least fit with what we were playing. So we're like, okay, yeah, sure. We'll play this anyway. And then after a week, we're like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> no. <laughs> Other people do it better. Right. Exactly. So we kind of pulled it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a strange album. I, it's kind of condense it down to two words. It's Moby's punk album. You know, yeah. Moby goes punk, you know, whatever. Or tries to. Yeah. Well, you know, he wasn't punk bands in the eighties, so it's not like it, it, he's never done this before, but at the same time, it was way out of left field. It was just at a time when the thing he was known for was finally taking off. Yeah. This was, you know, right about when like the chemical brothers and like prodigy started having their their fires started right exactly to, to coin a phrase um it's like you know if you had practiced skateboarding for 20 years and suddenly skateboarding becomes a competitive sport and you go you know what i'm gonna get into jogging you know yeah like, not not now <laughs> dude not now you know that's that was the weird bit it's it's funny that you say that alf because uh um I was first I so I, I graduated from high school in 2001 so this is like <laughs> oh man boy I know about Moby whether I want to know about Moby or not and uh, um and I the first time I heard a bunch of Moby stuff and it was more on the ambient electronic side of things was in skate videos which were still pretty skateboarding was still kind of a, a transgressive act believe it or not in the it wasn't quite as you know uh, underground as in the late 80s early 90s but by the mid 90s it was still even if you had cool parents they were probably still pissed off that you were going skateboarding you know they thought that was the, the same as, as it was lower down in the x games it was not <laughs> a know, legit well hierarchy. the x games were pretty new and it was right. just but but anyways uh, skate videos had a lot of really cool music in it i, I remember uh you know hearing you know, I was aware of like stuff like the Velvet Underground or something like that, but you know, heard like the live, you know, Sweet Jane and like weird shit like that in skate videos, along with some pretty cool experimental stuff. And the first time that I heard Moby was in a bunch of different, you know, skate videos. And I don't remember this one really like blowing my mind. I remember this coming out, but I remember it just being like, so what? I was already kind of. I'm not. I'm not trying to say that I'm into all this super underground shit you've never heard of from the 90s but this sounds like really really lame big black you know <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, w- like, good way to put like, it it's like early ministry with training wheels you know the, the walmart version of ministry <laughs> oh, that's a good term too i have a kind of concept or a kind of a, a vague idea of what the album sounds like if i had to explain it to somebody and i said now imagine a post-punk or alternative band where the guitarist writes all the songs, but the lead singer writes all the lyrics. And so this is like the guitarist demos where he basically hands it off to the singer and say, here's my vague idea on how the album is going yeah, to sound. Yeah. Well, that, another interesting thing with that, as far as the nineties was, this is like, this was 96. Yeah. Yeah. So we're just past where this sort of like, like now, I mean, we're, we're recording on consumer quality devices as we speak 
in real time from, you know, different locations, which is pretty incredible. But at the time, if you were recording at home, you probably were doing it on a cassette four track. No matter what what you did, it probably didn't sound very good. It sounded pretty deliberately lo-fi. And just a little bit before this in the 90s, you have like Sebado and early Beck and a lot of stuff like that that was pretty cool. And they embraced this, hey, I did this shit in my bedroom kind of aesthetic. And this is like kind of the feel of that, but a little bit too late for it to be really cool and novel. Yeah, it was it was either way behind or way ahead of the curve, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mostly behind. I mean, apparently he, he was the opening act for Soundgarden in 97, and they <laughs> did not care for that at all. Oh, God. That's like Monkeys opening for, or Jimi Hendrix opening for Monkeys level of bad pairings right yeah. there. That's not not a good idea. The, the Monkeys could have done so much better. I know, right? <laughs> and apparently this nearly ended his career. I mean, he was like so devastated by how poorly this was received and only, you know, thanks to like, you know, fan letters from such greats as Axl Rose and Bono, who we've both covered, did he, you know, decide to make one more album. And oddly enough, it was the next album, Play, that really launched his career as a superstar. He was still fairly underground up till that point. So. I mean, he, he was a vegan slash uh, clean lover, you know, until that album came out. And then he was like, you know what, I'm going to start drinking now. <laughs> and I guess, I mean, I, I guess I understand, you know. I have a very uh, different perspective on all of this, is that I, I know um, the only thing I know about Moby is he has less hair than I. That's pretty much it. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I, I don't know anything about EDM music. I put this on and I went, oh, this is Moby? Wow, this is pretty cool. That that was my reaction. And and I also, you know, in, in my, I was like, it's not, you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have described it as awesome, but I would have, uh, I would have not called it punk as much as something a little more like industrial dance music, like um, Ministry is, but with a lot less yeah. blown out vocals. It, you know, it, it, it seems to have that, that, that whole kind of ethos going on, you know, so I, I didn't, I didn't really hear it as much as is uh oh here i want to go lo-fi as much as um i'm just gonna i want to turn out some chugging dance music that's what i that's what i heard well there's an odd combination because like you know nine tenths of the album is like this attempt at punk whatever you want to call it but there's like a couple of he went the complete opposite direction and like ambient sort of massage parlor tracks every you know third song you know. oh right right from occasionally from song to song especially at the start of the album it's it's quite a it's quite a shock right but but then again a lot of albums start off that way they kind of tease you with the first song and then head off in a very different direction uh i, I didn't i certainly didn't have any problem with uh i, I should say a couple of things uh first off um there are some i think positive aspects of the album for example the guitar work on it i think is is at least solid if not stellar I mean, there's one of the songs has a three-minute guitar solo, and I think that's Moby playing it, and he does fine. You know, it's not... I wouldn't put it down in my list of great guitar solos of all time, but, I mean, the fact that someone who's known as an EDM artist could play a three-minute guitar solo, even, is probably worth of note. He has a distinctive style. He does. I kind of understand and kind of appreciate him doing kind of the uh, contrasting stuff where it's just a piano and a violin... Or just kind of an ambient sort of sound of, of you know a keyboard in between these songs but I honestly think they just do not go together at all you know like a Mexican platter of of tacos then putting like fondant roses around it it's like no it's pretty I'm like no but it doesn't go with this you know 
It's like, yeah, it's just a bad combo, I think. Well, and it, when this first came out, it was released in the UK like four months before it came out in the US, and it was much shorter in the UK. And all the like ambient tracks were stuffed on a bonus disc called Little Idiot, and I think it might have been easier to deal with. For one thing, it would have been, you know, 20 minutes shorter. <laughs> that's interesting. I wonder if that's more of the uh, record company involvement there. Yeah, I'm not quite sure why it took longer to come out in America and why it was stuck altogether into one disc. But yeah, apparently that was a thing that happened. Yeah, when they released it in America, they actually released it in America twice. The first version was, in fact, the same as the UK version. And then they released it again. The only way to tell on the album cover is if it's, if it says Moby in orange, it's the first version. If it's in yellow, it's the second one. Um, but uh, they added some songs in, which I think, honestly, the, the second version, they did better. They got rid of a song called My Love Will Never Die, which I think is probably the worst song on there, to the point that if you go to Moby's website or go to his YouTube channel, he doesn't even have that up there. Like, he doesn't even list it anymore. You know, he'll have all his B-sides, all his... It's just like, you know what? Uh, n- no, that didn't happen. <laughs> um, and so I thought that one was really bad. And some of the, uh, the ambient tracks that they put back in fit better, I think. Um, the, the piano and violin stuff, is again, isn't terrible, but it just does not fit in well with, I think, the rockers, rockier songs. The stuff they put back in... Uh, you know, is at least has some sort of like undercurrent of, you know, tension or it's, it sounds a little darker. Yeah. And so at least kind of goes with it. I mean, it's not necessarily perfect, but it, they did better with the, the, with that version, I think, than with the original. With the more ambient stuff, I keep expecting to, to you know, suddenly remember that I'm halfway through a, a, a like a Luke Besson movie or something. <laughs> you know, it's very, it's very like 90s techno heist movie. <laughs> You know, turn to someone and say, we're in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me hack into the mainframe. <laughs> clack, 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 clack. I'm in. First, we need to, we need a modem. Yeah. Yeah, the ph- phone cradle Sheep. modem. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Dial up sounds. Yeah. Well, You've got around mail. the same time, you have a bunch of other bands who are doing the same sort of mixing what would be electronic dance music with rock and roll guitars and drums and samples and things like that. You've got Nine Inch Nails, you know, the earlier parts of Ministry that are really cool. Um, Beck and the Beastie Boys um, are doing exactly that where they're, you know, they've moved from kind of punk or rock and roll or folksy origins into almost strictly, you know, dancier stuff with either assembled from samples or or uh, looped or, you know, real instruments, but orchestrated to sound like loops and drum machine and things like that. And so th- this is kind of like real heyday for that sort of stuff. And so it's funny to me that this was received so poorly because some of the coolest stuff going on at the time was exactly this sort of thing. I, I think this one sort of suffers from a little bit of it being, yeah, it sounds like demos. It sounds like if there was some more people involved in it and there was a little bit more push and pull, it would it would be a little bit more exciting. But it, as far as the stuff we have to listen to for this podcast, this does not suck. In fact, it's quite good. <laughs> I wouldn't say it sucks. It's, you know, it's, I would say it's probably his, his weirdest album for sure. I don't know if it's possibly his worst album, but it's certainly a tough one to get through, I think, all the way through. Um, I would say the biggest drawback, you know, I said some good stuff about it was the guitar work. I don't think Moby can sing at all. I mean, he is just not <laughs> a, a good vocalist, I don't think. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he he can mutter, you know, when he when he does like Southside, that's fine. 
when he you know does his kind of quiet muttering on porcelain that's you know that's a nice use of what vocal talents he has but as a punk shouter he just does not have any presence i don't think he just i just don't buy it you know and when trent reznor sings things you know yeah. especially when he's really angry i think we all believe him right yeah I mean, he you know does I mean? want to fuck us like an animal i am totally down yeah. i i'm i i don't yeah i'm totally on board <laughs> we're with gonna that. stay away from that guy you know yeah. like because yeah meanwhile moby <laughs> just wants to pet us like an animal right right he's, and when moby <laughs> sings this stuff it's just like i just don't believe him you know um, I have this yeah. kind of vague theory that Moby, when he went, you know, he was originally a club DJ, like a lot of electronic artists were. And when he started actually recording music, I think he actually, again, this is complete conjecture on my thought, on my part, but I think he kind of gave a lot of thought about what kind of musician would I be a fan of, you know? And he says, oh, it'd be neat to be a musician who tries a lot of things, who's like really outspoken about issues that are important to me. And writes long treatises on in my you know liner notes about how important it is to be a vegan, and you know I, I'm going to be an everyman pop star, you know, and I don't know how accurate that is. I mean, for all I know, that's that just me talking out my ass. But that's kind of this mindset I have. Um, and so when I see, if you sit through the video for like "Come On Baby," and you see see him playing, he seems so. He does not seem uh, like if you see any other video from that period. The people are like so involved in playing their guitar and just like they're just, you know, it's angst coming out of every pore, you know. Yeah. Moby looks like he went, he, he's like always looking at the camera, you know, it, he's always got that kind of, you know, hey, it's me, Moby, you know, kind of thing going He's very aware of his image and how it's being perceived at all times. I think he sort of uh, sculpted himself as kind of, you know, a, an anti Bono or something like that. Mm -hmm. He's like still kind of self imposed. Not not self important, but it's he has this image that yeah, very hard on sleeve, <laughs> you know, um, and which is kind of a very '90s thing, as you know, Mister Mister Cobain was all, like you know, kind of the the pop music originator of that very. I will tell you where I stole every single idea from. You should go <laughs> listen to those bands more than you right. should listen to my band. And I think Moby definitely picks that up. It's it's sort of a, a like a deconstruction of of a rock rock star ness. It's like I'm I'm just a guy. I'm a skinny guy who can play guitar and like make music. Hi, yeah, hi, it's me, Moby. Remember? <laughs> and, and whereas with everybody else, there's just a whole lot of theatrics. And and right. I think by the time Moby was on the scene, maybe the theatrics had you know gotten a little old for people that's certainly possible i i do have my one weird story about moby that I, I need to say somewhere and it may not there may not be a better place than here um just because it's a it's kind of apropos of nothing but it's funny and so why not uh moby was living in new york at the time and he was just walking uh to the store or whatever and he ran into this woman that he knew and she was like oh my god are you are you like busy right now and he went well no i was just gonna go to the store could, could you come to work with me and and here's the thing is this woman uh it was a professional dominatrix and uh <laughs> she, and she had a, a a guy that she worked with you know when they needed a, like a partner to play out some sort of fantasy and he like got sick or something and couldn't do it and she desperately needed someone to fill in and he's like well what do i have to do and she said well i have this guy who uh his his fantasy thing is that he'll have sex with me and then in the middle of it my husband shows up and just starts screaming at me and then he makes me beat him up 
So I need someone to play the husband and like, you know, kick in the door and say, what the fuck are you doing? You know, and, and, and then like make me beat, beat the guy up. Oh, yeah, I'll do that. So like they went off and they did this. And he said all through it, though, he kept like as she's, she's get, he's getting beat up by her. He keeps looking back at me like, is that Moby? <laughs> you know, which I thought <laughs> <laughs> which I thought would just be the most surreal thing to ever happen to somebody. <laughs> Yeah, like, well, you I, usually don't have star casting in your <laughs> fantasy scenarios. Right? 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 With good reason. <laughs> this does kind of take you out of it, I would say. You know. Although, thanks to Cameo, you may be able to you know, pay $400 <laughs> right? to have Mark McGrath <laughs> insult you, at least you know, on video. So if that's your thing, it's it's possible now. I, got, I have some friends who paid uh, Mark McGrath to uh, 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 jazz scat sing for him. Yeah. <laughs> Worth, worth every. I think they they split it like five ways, but totally worth every penny. It's awesome. Well, on that note, do we want to start listening to this album? There's a lot of tracks on here. from the hearts of space. Yeah, I was going to say, is this the Amagama album? <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's pleasant, yeah. but it's GNDN, you know, it goes nowhere, does nothing kind of thing. I mean, I it's pleasant enough, but... It, it's the soundtrack to one of those self-hypnosis VHS tapes. <laughs> you are an important person. As an intro track, I thought it was... Yeah. I thought it was okay you know i like i like those organ sounds it does sound a bit like you're at home during a pandemic and you sit down at the organ and this is what came out of your fingers you know i would also call it dead sun then you know it's a good title yes yeah uh, this one was not on the uk release but on little idiot so it's odd to open the album with this i mean it does not give you a good indication i mean i was like is this the right album this is supposed <laughs> to be moby rocking right the, this sounds like you know Moby sleeping. This is not what I expected. <laughs> yeah, when the second track hits, I I had to um I wasn't looking at my playlist. I had to get up and check and make sure it was still the same album. I thought maybe <laughs> it had, had skipped over to the the Slayer Punk album or something. This is very much like the Slayer Punk album. You know, it would be fine at you know forty five seconds or even a minute and a half, but three and a half minutes of this is just an unnecessary way to start the album. I didn't. I didn't sit down at the piano or anything and 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 hash this out. But for the majority of Moby's uh, piano-based electronic stuff, i.e., the the non-guitar rock and roll music, he generally sticks to one or two sort of modal ideas. I mean, throughout his whole career, it sounds very very Moby, and that's not bad. I mean, Hendrix stuck to a couple of modes and had a lot of like really repeating ideas that crept in but you know Moby's got a couple of keyboard things that just sneak into anything ambient and they all sound kind of not quite whole tony creep you know su- suspend like creepy but i don't know they sound very dramatic and when it's every single tune mm-hmm. it's not <laughs> as big of an impact as when it's like oh that's the really dramatic suspenseful you know spine tingly one it's just like when when this sort of ambient thing starts, you're like, oh, it's that that's gonna happen, you know, and uh, right, and it does over and over, not just through this album, but 
through his whole career. And again, it's not really a critique, maybe more of a signature, but my friend in college was, uh, uh, just before we graduated, they started Mars FM in the LA area, which was the first techno radio station in the country. And, uh, my friend liked listening to it, but he would always, we'd always go out driving. He'd turn it on and about a minute and a half into every song, it became this running joke. He would turn to me and say, so it just keeps doing that, huh? And that's that. Yeah, and that line comes to mind over and over during this album. <laughs> so it just yeah. keeps doing that, huh? Not a lot of dynamics. No, not a lot. Yeah, that's a that's a, a hallmark of kind of shoegazy stuff. And I'm not. I don't want to rip on shoegazy stuff, but you do. You, know, you do. D- yeah, I do. So dynamically speaking, if you're if you're full blast, full lush sounds, you know, in the intro of the song. Where, where are you going to go for mm-hmm. the next three minutes? Right. And I think some of the Moby stuff suffers from that a little bit. Yeah, if you jump ahead two minutes, it's like the, the, he added another keyboard underneath it, but it's still the same. Yeah, thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. There's, a real, there's, a, there's a keyboard that's, that's an, uh, uh, an octa- two octaves above really high. Right. That's playing the same, <laughs> the same voicing, but just barely audible above it. And it's like, right. that's neat, but that's not really... <laughs> A dynamic, so kind of just right? more of the same. <laughs> well, do we want to jump to the to the next track, which is a little more unmoby like? It's called "Someone to Love," written by Moby. As are all tracks, but one. Yeah, it doesn't sound like ministry at all to you. It does. There's definitely a ministry or, or attempt at ministry vibe yeah. there. I mean, it's a little less. Um, it has a lot less of the studio manipulation thing going on, but with the you know the the, the hardcore drum machine and the screamy vocals and and uh, you know the the. Uh, I think those are real drums. You think those are real drums? Those are real drums. Yeah. Moby is credited with playing everything except for the violin on this album. That doesn't that that does not mean that it's not a drum machine. True, um, but uh, <laughs> I think those are real drums. The interesting thing that makes it sound more ministry than punk, like it's not punk at all, because that's more like of an, an industrial drum beat. That's not a D beat. That's not a like polka beat, punk beat. It's like very square and very right. It's more on the industrial dancey side of things. That's why I mentioned Big Black. You know, which is a drum machine. What what year was this again? It was ninety six or ninety seven, depending on whether you're in okay. the U S or the U K. But pretty close to when the the Slayer album Undisputed Attitudes came out. So, right. which one is more punk? Do you think <laughs> this one is? I think I think if the Slayer album was recorded with the production values of of the 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 punky tunes on on this one, it would have been much much better so moby should have produced the slayer album yep <laughs> that would have been yep. a, a thing but i mean a porthole to hell would have opened and swallowed us all <laughs> had that happened so uh yeah worth um it. i you know. i noticed that one of the lyric one of the lyrics and there's a couple lyrics in this song that i like uh, one is make me a being without a soul by the way that shows that kind of vague thing about having a soul and being soulless shows up in nearly every single song on this album um, also, my favorite lyric, though, is after singing, oh, it's over, oh, it's over, oh, it's over several times, 
near the end he says, like I said before, it's over. I'm like, yes, you did say, in fact, say that before. We so the sense, the sense of humor is intact. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It, it's subtle, but it is there. So well, when, I, when I mentioned Moby being crafting himself as sort of an anti-Bono, I think one of the things that I, I do like about him is that he said over and over subtly and not so subtly is, yeah, guys, don't take me so seriously. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I do appreciate that. And I think you get more out of a lot of his music if you approach it with a sense of humor and a, and a even when it's heavy subject matter, a little bit of a you know, it's still a little bit tongue in cheek. I remember he was on MTV's Cribs. Remember that show? MTV's Cribs? <laughs> yes. The apartment he showed was, I don't know if he just bought it or something, but had no furniture and nothing in it. And it took all of like three and a half minutes because it was just like <laughs> an empty black, blank white room. It's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so where was it? Where was this recorded? Is there information on that? I, I know he had his own studio, um, and I think just like in his place, it feels like a home studio. There's yeah, there's not a lot of like studio feel to this one. You know, it, it does sound it is not quite thin, but it's got that kind of vaguely demoy quality throughout. Doing it all himself, it's very hard to get a live sound, but I think it is. Well, I mean, did did he? I guess what I'm asking is, did he engineer this too? Recording every, playing all the instruments is a lot different than playing all the instruments and recording all the instruments. It was engineered and uh, mixed by Alan Mulder. Okay, uh, all right. See, do not know, but see, that's what I was suspecting. It doesn't. It doesn't sound nearly as do it yourself as as you guys think it does to me. It, it sounds a little more polished than that. I think where where I find it a little bit amateurish is in the arrangements and the songs themselves, not as much in terms of production mm-hmm. i could see that yeah yeah, yeah. He, he seems like a dude who's used to writing dance music right where it gives away everything that's going to happen for the next couple of minutes right away and it stays right there because you have to be able to dance to it if, if the song was gonna do some mr bungle shit and go all over the place <laughs> like you, you wouldn't yeah you wouldn't be able to dance to it and nobody would like it you know um where people trying to dance to it would be very frustrated. And so it kind of carries over into, uh, you know, the, the more rock and roll stuff is, is still with that. Yep. It's going to stay this tempo. It's going to do the same beat. You know, it's not going to. No more surprises you know, for you. Yep. No more surprises. Right. This is what you get. Well, let's see if this next one has any surprises. Let's. This is a heavy flow. Oof. Not a good title. <laughs> When you're fucking me, it powers up my soul. That is the <laughs> lyric I wrote down. <laughs> it's hard to ignore a line like that. Um, I will say that if I had to pick one of the uh, rock songs on this album to kind of say, okay, if I had to pick one, it would be this one. It does have a good guitar riff. The solo, I think, is quite good. Uh, again, the lyrics are Moby. I, yeah, I, well. It, not, not his strong part. And the song ends early. It actually ends. It's a short song. Yeah, <laughs> so it's less than two minutes. Nice. I think it's like three. I think yeah, it's pretty short. So oh, it's one fifty-five. Yeah, you're right. Well, there so, you yeah. go. Less than two minutes. You were correct. I like the uh, the weird atmospheric. I don't know if it's backwards reverb or what it is exactly. You know, it sounds pretty. Um, yeah, I think that's what it is. He's got that on a lot of tracks. <laughs> right. He's trying to hype it up a bit. You know, very fast tempo, which is cool. Now, had Michael Stipe shaved his head by this point? Because. <laughs> 
that's the only way to, I can, you know. Yeah, that was Monster. That was 94. So, yeah. Oh, so there you go. See, maybe maybe Moby felt kind of jealous that R.E.M. was taking his look, so he was going in a new direction or something. So you think this is a R.E.M. kind of takeoff? Rip- no, he was deliberately trying to, you know, stand out from Michael Stipe because oh, he was I see. afraid of right, yeah. confused with him now because there can only be one bald guy in, in music. <laughs> ah, bald, yeah. short, pasty white guy, yeah. Yes. Wasn't that guy from Spirit Bald? <laughs> well, that's... <laughs> I don't think they were recording at 95, but okay. <laughs> uh, wow. Again, I think this is real drums, but it's also... It reminds me of Big Black because it's like he can play that... He can keep that one drum beat together if he just plays that one drum beat and doesn't do any flourishes or anything like that. Like, he's probably got a click track just blasting in his ears... And he's got to keep it together for a minute and 50 seconds. And <laughs> that'll be it. There might be a sloppy, you know, crash and a fill at the end of the beginning and the end of the song or something like that. And and so it's very it's like the, the, the hardcore motoric beat or something like it's just going to keep going. The song has started. It will this <laughs> will cease when the song is over. Right. It's got a heavy flow. <laughs> <laughs> what does that title mean? I actually read somewhere that the Bloodhound Gang was going to name one of their albums Heavy Flow until they found out there was a Moby song by that name. And they're like, nope, we're changing the name. That would have been all the more reason. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know how accurate that is, but I, it made me laugh anyway. So, Well, for, for less than a, two minutes, we shouldn't talk about it too long. We'll go on to the next song with the even worse title, You. There you go. Yeah. Tacking on some, just the whole song backwards at the very end. So it's like rain by the Beatles, but uh, yeah. much worse drumming. Yeah. Moby read somewhere that you could do that. So there you go. <laughs> it's much easier That's, to do in Pro Tools than it is with a with a tape machine. But it, it didn't, I mean, did it add anything to the song? I, I certainly didn't think it did. And added an extra 15 to 20 seconds. <laughs> right. And my lyric on this song was, say, give love, when might I look so clearly, I need a known. Perchance to dream, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you, know the, that, that, you know that magnetic poetry you can put on your fridge? Exactly. Kind of was, that was just like, you just threw words up there, I think. So. I mean, even the sound, he's got the same reverse echo on the vocals. He's got the same, you know, crunch on the guitar. He's got the same sound on the drum machine or actual drums depending on who you want to ask um diversity is not his strong suit no no it isn't it's- yeah i think i think logan's probably right about the drums the uh the i think what's uh what threw me a bit was that the beat doesn't change at all or very rarely um but um the beat goes on unless, unless he was just incredibly skilled at a machine you know when it sort of when it sort of does crap out a bit when he hits the crashes, um, you know, that's kind of a giveaway. Well, if you think about where sampling was, digital sampling was at at the time, it would be really hard to assemble something that had ever so slightly different fills throughout. You know, it would be just a hell of a lot of a work to, to put a drum thing together like that where you could just get somebody who is sort of an amateurish drummer to just perform it. Yeah, 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 you're right. You could do it. It would just, it would be a challenge. You'd have to both digitally sample and splice tape and bounce shit around like endlessly to get something that sounds like a, a so-so drummer right. <laughs> trying to keep it together for the, <laughs> the length of a song. So, I mean, 
if if that's what he did, I think he probably would have like bragged about it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> he would be far more yeah, impressive than just There'd be a little blurb on the back of the C D. Nobody played drums. You know? <laughs> yeah, if if the if the concept really outran the ran the you know, the results, uh, he would be, he would explain it. You know? Right. Right. Uh, although, you know, drum machines are, have been around for, um, you know, by that point, a good 20 years and, um, there's plenty of them. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's not, it's not unfeasible that he could have used one and you can also, um, play electronic drums and make them sound pretty time unspecific. Um, but, um, True. but I agree with you. I think it's, I think it's him playing. But if you, Set up a drum kit in a, in a tiny room and put a 57 in the room, point it at the ceiling and overdrive the hell out of it. It kind of sounds like this, doesn't it? And he did it on every song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's the thing. Is Except this next one. Well, yes. Shall we go on to the next one since, you know, there's not much to say about this one either. Right. It's very short. So this next one is another short one, like two minutes and nine seconds. But here we have Now I Let It Go from the Frozen soundtrack. quickly i went from this is a nice change of pace to i'm bored (laughs) (laughs) it's still too long you know at two minutes and whatever so yeah and yeah and like i said i don't think these interludes fit at all i mean it's not so much oh we've changed the mood that's totally fine but it's just like being different just to show he can be different i think i just doesn't really do anything he only has the two settings one is (laughs) the other is That's it. There's nothing in between. I will say, as someone who plays the violin a little bit, I think he saws away on those whole notes pretty well. That's not him. That, that's oh, the it's one not. That he does not play. Oh, I, I miss. I misunderstood earlier. I thought you said he played everything on there. Everything but the violin. Everything but the violin. Well, there you go. I'm sorry, Moby. I tried to compliment you. I really did. <laughs> And you see how a little bit of one other musician with with capable and idiosyncratic chops goes to providing some variety to a song, even just a little bit. If there were like two or three more people on on different instruments, you know, not also being played by Moby elsewhere on the album that, you know, came in and did a song or two, it would have gone a long, long way. Well, he did tour this album afterwards, both opening for Soundgarden and playing to like 50 people a night and i wonder who the band was on that album or on that tour because that might have helped us just to have a live version of this album and hear it played with you know non-overdubbed one-man band kind of stuff i mean the, the same way that uh, that back put together a monstrous band to play all of his you know dust brothers created stuff I, moby had some serious ringers for touring throughout his career when he was doing live band stuff, there were there were some absolute badasses. Um, some of that might have just been it's difficult to re- recreate amateur. It's <laughs> it's difficult to play poorly well, right? If that makes <laughs> sense, you know, consistently, you know, um, to replicate weird, idiosyncratic, glitchy kind of screwed up music stuff, you have to 
be a certain caliber of musician to do that night after night. I wonder if this was one of the tracks they played live. I'm I'm guessing not. Right. <laughs> they played it on the sound system before the show began, you know. <laughs> you guys ready to rock? Here you go, Cleveland. Now I let it go. <laughs> Give it up for Han Rowe. <laughs> Everybody that knew who was way into Moby at this time, like, really did a lot of ecstasy. So. <laughs> they had to. It couldn't have hurt. <laughs> I, I, I really missed out on this period of, of music. I, I wasn't kidding when I said before I had, I had heard of Moby. I just, I never heard it. Mm-hmm. But I suppose there's plenty of things I haven't heard. Again, being exposed to early ministry and early Nine Inch Nails and like even like Alien Sex Fiend and stuff like that before Moby kind of makes you go, ah, uh, huh, Moby. Okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe that. <laughs> Maybe that okay, was we it. got it. At least that's 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 uh, that that's my experience. So it, it's just kind of, it. I mean, he made a fortune with this crap. Sorry, dude, with this crap in in movies and uh, commercials. Right. It was really. No, I mean, sorry, Moby. Like it. It's perfect. It's 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 flawless background music. Yeah. You know. I mean, he's it was he was excellent at that, you know, and then, you know, some people were excellent jingle writers and that's that's a skill. I mean, it technically is. And so and uh, my my friend once joked that they might be giants were excellent jingle writers. And once he said that, I was like, oh, I think you kind of have something there. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And so good songs at a minute and a half. Right. Exactly. So it's got to finish. It's got to fit on that answering machine tape. Right. Precisely. That's why. Well, nothing wrong with that. No, no. So so next is is Come On Baby, right? Which was one of the singles from this album. Come on, baby. <laughs> Again, I I'm not wearing enough cyberpunk uh, regalia to listen to this. You know, my my two lyrics from this one were: "Think about a broken time was soulless." Yet another, you know, mention of soul. And my favorite line was: "And I love one time when your life goes suck." Well, how can you argue <laughs> with lyrics like that? That's like a YouTube comment. That's not like a, that's not a song lyric. Somebody should have gone, dude. No. No, don't. And if you do watch the video, um, it again, it's I, I get that feeling of Moby playing a role, really, because I can picture any other, like the lead singer from Live or you know, uh, Smashing Pumpkins or anybody doing what he's doing in the video. Yeah, yeah, but you can picture them in that video and it and, and believing it, as it were. Moby looks like he's playing it. You know, he's like, look, I'm a rock star. And today is my day to to make my video for my rock and roll song. Well, I think the fact that these songs weren't played live until after the album and the video were recorded may have been part of why it felt so performative as opposed to... It's, it's certainly possible. And this, this song did remind me to a little bit of an episode of um, WTF with Mark Marin because the guitar noodling at the end is very extraneous. <laughs> <laughs> 
Shots fired. <laughs> Take that. We're, we're, we're on a podcasting. Do something about it, Marin. <laughs> we're going to get hate mail from Moby now. Yeah. Well, if, it, if they're as good as his lyrics, I, I can't wait to read it. <laughs> I should just go go all in and just start eating ribs right now and just really kind of piss him off. He just murder. <laughs> to clean. <laughs> Isn't that a, 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 a suckling lamb roasting on a spit? Right, you, exactly. <laughs> Got a roast pig's head on, on my lap, just nibbling. Hey, um. hey, Moby, I can tell you what Alf does not stand for. Uh, <laughs> yum. <laughs> You finally got it. Good job. <laughs> I'm gonna uh, trade in my tofu pups for hot dogs. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, this this Kobe beef is really tasty. <laughs> yeah, we've got a beef with Moby. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. Uh, All that said, this may be the best song on the album. It is. It's. I mean, it's. It does have a good riff. You know, it. It sounds pretty. It has almost like a, a decent hook. He doesn't have a lot of hooks on this album, as, as far as like really memorable ones. Um, I still think he's a terrible singer, though, and I have a really hard time getting past that. I mean, and not just in a like, oh, he can't go on American Idol kind of thing, but I mean, he just can't even front this kind of music, right? He can't scream correctly. Yeah, like, like. You brought up the Trent Reznor thing. Is like, can Trent Reznor sing his ass off? No, but when he does a, like a shrieking howl or something, it's kind of it's convincing. It hits you, you know. Yeah, it's it's blood curdling, you know. <laughs> um, well, and if you have a limited range, I mean, look at Randy Newman. He knows how to write for his voice. Neil Young knows how to write to his voice. Moby does not know how to work no. with his uh, limited instrument shall we say otis redding famously had like an oct you know barely an octave range but meant every damn note of it and it's awesome he's a fantastic singer with you can do a lot with a little true but he did not on this album though just, no yeah yeah well shall we go on to the next track which Please. i believe is um a song about erectile dysfunction <laughs> it's called soft <laughs> Hey, it's Nine Inch Moby. <laughs> yeah, Elf, I'm, I'm going to have to agree with you here. There's a lot of this, it sounds like Simulacra, right? It's it's simulations of something else. It is, yeah. Actually, what it sounds like is, you know, someone was told to write a Faith No More song, but they'd only seen the <laughs> video to Epic once, and that was all they had to work with. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I have a friend who actually does that sort of thing. That's his job. He writes for TV, and so he gets that a lot. It's like, we need a Nine Inch Nails song. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and you have to figure out what they meant by that, right? And then you... Right. Well, it's kind of like being in Weird Al's band. You're like, you know, today we're going to be parodying uh, Billy Ray Cyrus. Figure out how to play like Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> Tommy Tedesco, the great studio musician, he had said that he'd often get, get um, conductors you know, for some TV gig or something. And they'd say, play like Jeff Beck. And then he'd have to figure out what they meant by that. 
because it often was not what Jeff Beck sounds like. It was whatever the guy's idea had in his head. And and I, I think that happens to a lot of people. And I suppose what would happen though, if someone said we need a Moby song, <laughs> they wouldn't, or they would, they would, they would, yeah. they would mean anything on play. I think. Yeah. They, they, <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of his rumors. You know, 90% of his hits <laughs> come from that one album. So I didn't I didn't really pick out a lyric from here. I guess the closest I had was, but I scream for the blood I've found. I'm like, okay, you're trying. I get it. But it just... I'm scary. Roar. I know, right? Right? And and on the handle was a hook. You know, that's about the only thing missing. So It's better than some of the, the earlier stuff, but it's still not... Still, that's odd. It, you scream for the blood, not that you saw the blood or that someone lost blood the blood can't scream for itself somebody needs right. to scream for it so. won't someone scream for the blood <laughs> and speak for the trees and, and for the children Indeed. and the children's blood please i think this album was called animal rights not because it has anything to do with animal rights he just wanted to put that concept out there so he just it's probably as effective as anything else pop music you know musicians yeah. do. the next song is almost called animal rights but he got bored halfway through typing it which is called Animal. This one is minimalism that went wrong. Well, it, I would say this is the first instrumental that sounds like it actually fits on the album, though. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it at least has a kind of a dark feel to it. Um, it's buried drums into a muted kind of drum beat. And so at least I'm like, okay, I could picture that, more of that between the songs, especially compared to the piano violin stuff and all that. So Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's, it's not nearly as massage parlory as the other songs oh, right the other instrumentals or this would be like a blade runner massage parlor yeah Ugh. i don't know you know one of the reasons i i'm all i've always been so lukewarm on on moby is because there's this particular production thing from this mid 90s kind of electronic music that's just really 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 compressed you know not just the 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 crunchy crappy sample rate drum thing or whatever but I know I know that I sound like Mr. Uh, uh, you know, uh, avant, you know, punk, no wave guy who's only excited by like crazy thrashy stuff. But I really do enjoy a lot of ambient music. And somehow Moby's stuff is like ambient, but it there's like more, but it's like less like, you know, I hate to got to bring up, you know, Bill Laswell again and just say that. There's a bunch of Bill Laswell stuff that is very, very, very sparse, but somehow has more dynamics and more original ideas than any of these Moby songs because they kind of get they kind of plateau immediately and then stay there for the next like four minutes. And and I think a lot of the, the kind of mid 90s electronic stuff was guilty of being completely just brick wall limited you know if you were looking at a waveform it would be a solid stripe across your stream you know like across the screen and just like not i don't know it doesn't it leaves nowhere to go oh i was gonna say logan yeah you're hitting on what i was getting at with the minimalism thing minimalism is i'm not saying that this is what he was trying to do but it's something that that 
grows imperceptibly. And I, and I think what, what, what happens here is there's repetition that does change, but, but it, it, uh, it goes on a little too long to be like a, uh, you know, kind of an inter entertaining kind of classical esque sort of piece, but it doesn't go long enough to develop into something, you know, more organically interesting. Yeah. Well, the, the, uh, the harmonic ideas of it are not very exciting and the textural elements of it are kind of squashed by it just being blasted out and dynamically flat. And so, I mean, while there's like nothing but like screechy clacky noise going on in say like a, 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 a Brian Eno song or something like that, it starts really, really like barely audible. And then at the height of the song creeps up to just, kind of slightly more audible and that's the song but it has more of an impact than it starts and stays at exactly the same intensity for a while um i just it's that that not so much on this album but in it throughout moby's catalog that the ambient word gets thrown around a lot and it's not really what i think of as ambient music um it's kind of just more like movie soundtrack background music. It's ambient in the dictionary definition, but not as in the musical kind of definition, I think. so. Yeah. yeah. There's a very fine line between ambient and ambient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to a T. Ambient, ambient makes you feel good, but you'll never remember it. Well, do we want to just say it's all mine and go on to the next track? Please. Did you ever slip inside my ozone? I saw it. Moby only has that one distortion pedal, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but at least he turned it on and off during this song. <laughs> yes. Well, that that's exactly what I was talking about. That one just starts out absolutely blasting, and then he like comes down, but he doesn't really. It's so squashed and no, it's, it's and just loud all over that when it drops loud, down right? to the yeah, it's as loud. It's as present, and really for that sort of loud quiet thing to work you should be straining to hear anything when you come down after something that really that's that loud if if you want it to have an effect and you know it's possible that he just doesn't but that's the trick and it's kind of he like misunderstood how to use it so is this the is the model here in nirvana or smashing pumpkins or some yeah somewhere in there but both of those bands did the loud, quiet thing really well. Yeah, it did sound like it should. The song should have been fuller and heavier. Like, like that's what he's trying to go for, and it just didn't work. And I thought his singing on this one was especially bad. Um, my favorite lyric on this one is, "Did you ever slip inside my ozone?" Ouch. I, I, yeah. I hate to keep pointing this out, but he is just not a good lyric writer. And, uh, <laughs> no, no. He needs to give this to the lead singer who knows how to scream precisely and write something better than. You could just see him pull out the red, yeah, pull out the red pen and go. You know what? No, not that one. Let's just uh, change yeah. that real quick. You know, and I and I'm a fan of surreal lyrics. Somehow this doesn't even fit that quite. No. 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 I think I think Alf's on or whoever said it earlier, but I I think they were on to something. I, I, Moby may have created the uh, fridge magnet poetry. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> album lyric sheet. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. I think David Bowie used to do that, didn't he? I mean, not the refrigerator magnet, but wouldn't he um, do that old that old writer's trick of cut, chopping up his lyrics and flinging them in the air? And then I've got a stack of flashcards with crap written on them <laughs> sitting right next to me. I mean, it's not a new thing, but it's just you're you're supposed to you're supposed to stick them together with a little bit more glue than well. It's supposed <laughs> to give you, the idea is it gives you ideas. It's not supposed to be like well, whatever it comes up with, that's what you have to write down. That's what seems to yeah, be. Yeah, I'm what stuck he did. with ozone. I, I hate that line, but I'm stuck. <laughs> that's what the card said, but it rhymes. <laughs> that's a weird thing. It doesn't even rhyme. It's just like a word he threw out there. This is also the longest one so far, but we're we're a, a long way away from the longest. <laughs> yeah, wh- yeah. What is ozone? What does ozone rhyme with? What would you rhyme ozone with? Bozo. Cone zone. Loading zone. Scott is the, the lyrical genius of the podcast. Uh, yeah, that's a stretch. Trombone. I don't know. If that's... Trombone. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. I want to put my trombone in. Well. <laughs> You keep your rusty trombone away from my <laughs> ozone. <laughs> <Hey> now, <laughs> Ugh, that's when I reach for my revolver. <laughs> Beautiful segment. That's when I reach for my revolver. That's when it all gets blown away. That's when. So that's one good thing I got from listening to this album and and readying for this podcast. I always thought it was Mission to Burma, but it's actually (laughs) Mission of Burma. It's easily the best song on the album and probably because he didn't write it. Hell yeah. Um, But I, I, the funny thing is my belief is that was his benchmark. He's like, I want this album to sound like this. Yeah. And the weird thing is how it doesn't, you know, it's like it, it, it didn't seem to realize, oh, this has a, a hook. It, you know, it has the verses that build up to the chorus. The chorus hits hard and then rolls back a bit. And none of his songs do that correctly. It's like he had this lesson there that he I thought was was supposed to be his template. And it just didn't follow those, you know, the lessons that it was teaching him. Yes. He got a he got a failing grade. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, even though that's one of Mission of Burma's you know, m- most famous songs, the Mission of Burma, I don't really think of them as being, you know, Pixies or Nirvana-esque, loud, quiet. They they have a lot of weird shit going on. In oh, fact, they do. Early, er, early Mission of Burma sounds kind of like Per Ubu or something. <laughs> right. Really weird. And, and uh, while this is a totally capable cover and everything, and I guess the, the original source material is... Um, you know, not, I don't know. It's their most famous song, Mission of Burma, that is. But uh, I, I think they have a lot more weird, interesting stuff going on musically. And, you know, Moby did a capable job covering it, but also kind of steamrolled some stuff, too. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just, a, you know, because it's it's one guy trying to make a band's worth of, of music. And that's... Yeah, so, Elf, I, yeah. I'm thinking you're, you're probably right with the... Uh, him maybe using this as a template was there something other than the um 
I mean, is there something lyrically that he really likes about this song, do you suppose? Is there, is there some other compelling reason why this particular cover? I'm not sure. I, I mean, I honestly don't know. It's, and it's especially tough to tell since none of the rest of his discography sounds anything like this. Um, it might just be like this particular song hit him correctly. And he was like, oh, this is, you know, this is what I want to try on this album. Um, to me, it's, I would certainly say, I mean, you, you might, you other guys might chime in, but I'd say it's probably their poppiest Mission of Burma song. I mean, I don't know if there's, I can't think. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, it was like them, you know, if you wanted to play a Mission of Burma song for a pop fan, that would be the one I would play. It might be he liked that, again, all conjecture here, but he might have liked that uh, fact that it's kind of bridges between this kind of kind of outsider music, but kind of gives you a slight bridge over into what the alternative scene was doing at the time. Uh, again, total guess. I don't, I don't know what he saw in the song. Um, but and I, I, I agree, and I do think he did a good job on it—not a fantastic job. I, it's not as good as the original, but he certainly. This was, cert, this was the song that they sent us, and I was aware again, aware of a, the Mission of Burma version, but I hadn't heard it in years, and I, so I just heard it. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's that's okay, you know. And I was expecting, okay, more of this would have been fine. We just didn't get more of this. Did, did you go back and listen? Yeah. Did you go back and listen to the original? I did. Eventually. And you were like, "Oh, okay, it's not as good as I." Thought. <laughs> no, I, yeah. No, I did. Get, I did go back to the original. I did. You know, I had. I had a copy of of the Mission of Burma Ace of Hearts compilation, uh, and I listened to that, and that was kind of like my, "Oh, okay, now I kind of understand." Um, and but yeah, I was expecting more of more songs like this because I thought this one sounded fuller. They sound like. Uh, a song. It sounds like a song, exactly. It's it's produced. It's got like a, a if not the catchiest chorus in the world, and it at least has that kind of more clear verse chorus kind of feel to it. And uh, so I was expecting more of that, and instead it was like not even quite attempts at same. You know, it yeah, it like vague ideas that court sort of you know, refer to that kind of feel. And that was it. It was really strange to us. If there was a Mission of Burma cover band and they were forced to write originals, this is what they would sound like. <laughs> no, they, they actually, they wouldn't. It would be much weirder and much more angular and, and much less conventional song-like if they were really Mission of Burma fans. Or, or, or maybe maybe they just weren't talented. Then they, <laughs> they would sound like Well, this. yes. Yeah. If there was a bad Mission of Burma cover band, and I can't imagine. I'm thinking, you know, like, like uh, put it in another context, Logan. Like, if you had a Led Zeppelin cover band and then they have to write their own songs, you are not going to get Led Zeppelin. No, you're going to get Heart. Greta Van Fleet. <laughs> yeah, <so laughs> well, here's the thing. Led Zeppelin didn't write any of their own songs. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> that might be a bad example. Yeah, that's when I reach for my revolver, or at least rubber soul. <laughs> I thought, you know, since he does, since he is able to sell a lot of these uh, songs commercially, I thought maybe he was aiming for an NRA market or something. <laughs> you, d you, don't, you don't know Moby very well, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I have admitted this, yes. <laughs> oh, Moby's a big fan of sports hunting. Not many vegans are, but... Uh, That's true. <laughs> oh, Moby. Is it, it, was that a joke, or is he? Does he use, like, crossbows or something? Um, he hunts carnivores. Ted Nugent and Moby together at last. <laughs> well, since, uh, since this is sort of a, <laughs> a, 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 um, an homage to his uh, punk rock, uh, you know, he was, a, he was a, in a bunch of punk bands early on before he was... 
uh, before he w- had a. I wonder if he had a mononym uh, <laughs> when he was just a a lowly punk rocker back into the day. I, this, this feels like a, a tip of the hat to his his roots, and I, there's more stuff like that. I mean, he takes again like Cobain took every opportunity to uh, um, give credit to his influences and stuff, um, but uh, I think it's from the American Hardcore documentary there when they're covering the band Flipper there is Moby saying that he was one of the stand-in singers for Flipper for a couple of gigs so there's that call him um, Flipper. although I think there's hundreds Flipper. of people who claim that <laughs> uh, everyone was a singer for Flipper at one point yeah um, just like we were all bass players for the Melvins at some point that's true yeah that's uh, a, a, a similarly lengthy list moby's no pat boone right in, in right. that he actually he lived this kind of stuff but that doesn't of course mean that he was good at it no <laughs> well he did get he did make a lot of money so i mean pat boone you know well both yeah. of them <laughs> no i'm not you know what like i've said before he apparently has a very large catalog i'm just unfamiliar with it so i'm not i'm not like a ragging on moby in particular i'm just saying this does not sound like punk rock to me no and you are not no. alone. <laughs> right. Hear that? Alone. <laughs> Segway. days when the songs on this album were like two minutes long three minutes long when did chariots of fire come out Vangelis, uh, 82 remember the 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 elp uh fanfare for the common uh, yeah didn't they they did the big uh fanfare for the common man is that that's chariots of fire theme right i don't remember or am i i'm mixing some stuff up never mind there's a i had to sneak some self-indulgent indulgent <laughs> prog rock reference in here somewhere so Check. Check. But the, this song, it does move without going anywhere for how long? 10 minutes? 10, min- and, 10 minutes. 10 minutes and 45 seconds. This is what, this is classic Moby. It like, is. This is what I expect. This is exactly what I expect when I would put on Moby. This is, if you, if you're not familiar with this catalog. This so this, is, this is what you get a lot of this. This is what it is. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. This is one of the, this is one of the bonus tracks that was not on the album originally that they managed to sandwich in uh, between two songs, of all things. Uh, I, I I if this had been like three or four minutes, it might have been my favorite song because I like the the tune, I like what he does. But for ten minutes, it's just like come on, this that's fine for a chill out room, you know, back at the rave, but not for home listening. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, three three minutes, three and a half minutes would have been okay. Right. This, did this come out on vinyl? I don't think this came out on vinyl. <laughs> okay, that's that's why you can have a 10-minute... Like, <laughs> two 10-minute songs in a row. I know. They're, I always call them the Ringo songs, where it's like they put the two 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 or three-minute singles on the the front side of, you know, a side of a record, but they got to eat up the rest of it. So what, what do you got that's going to get us, like, at least halfway to the label, you know? And it would be something like this. So I guess we're firmly into the age of CDs and... You can just do whatever the hell you want, no matter how long it lasts. Yeah. This, this album came in at like 72 minutes. He's using every last minute on that <laughs> CD that he can. 
Well, it's value for your money. Um, is it? That's right. Although you you can <laughs> you can, you can fit it. more music on a on a double LP than you can on a on a single CD, just by a little bit. Uh, depends on how good you want that music to sound. Right, right. It's it's like buying a five pound pack a sack of rotten tomatoes instead of the three pound pack of rotten tomatoes. It's like you're getting more, but but it's more. <laughs> how much have you really saved? Well, if you turn them into booze, then. <laughs> They're already halfway there, man. <laughs> oh, it's, 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 this this sounds like uh, it's the it's the heist movie. They've it's it's between the first act when they've assembled the crew and the second act where they're about to go out on their first ill ill fated adventure. Uh, this is playing in the background. But even then, it would end earlier. You know, it, would, it wouldn't be ten minutes oh, yeah. long. They use like twenty five seconds of it. Yeah, well, they're painting across the skyline, but. He still gets paid. Right, exactly. Moby's publisher loves him. <laughs> well, shall we move on to the next 10-minute song? We should face it. Yeah, you could say that. Um, I shouldn't want to hit the skip button twenty seconds into your song, and I really shouldn't want to hit the skip button twenty seconds into your ten-minute song. Uh, I really—that's a bad. Sign. Yeah, that's a really bad sign. Uh, it, um, I have a, this theory about lengthy songs that they need to earn their long times. I don't mind long songs if they earn it. This was like a three-minute song that didn't end when it was supposed to. It, it just was like, dude, no. The intro lets me imagine that's where. Ryan Adams came from. <laughs> I like yeah, I'm speaking of shit sounding like a demo. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. it sounds like, you know, that he's trying to be that sort of Daniel Johnston outsider art kind of thing, but it just sounds like the guitar's out of tune. Well, there's like a two minute PJ Harvey song that is this, but kicks this is the song's ass, <laughs> you know, from around like there's there's lots of stuff that is exactly like this, but 10 times better. That's contemporary with this tune. Well, this is where a producer would come in. Mm -hmm. With the scissors. Yeah, they, they would say, knock that shit off, man. You, you are not allowed to do that. Yeah, it's... We're just going to edit out a good chunk of this. Or, or they'd say, we like this part. It's got to be two and a half minutes long, right? That's yeah. And I actually like the guitar solo, the three-minute guitar solo. And I mean, it's not my... You know, it's not brilliant, but I, it's... That, well, he's not yeah, singing. Precisely, he's not singing. Um, I think that's, <laughs> yeah, it's got something going on. I, yeah, and I will say this because I don't know if you, you've, you've any of you ran into this. This is Moby's favorite song he's ever done. Is face it. He claims, claims that that is his favorite song of all time. It's very Moby. You get a lot of Moby in you that. You do. Minutes. You really do. Moby per per square inch. You got the <laughs> most. I, I think we're all set for a while. <laughs> yeah. Concentrated Moby. You, you, you dilute this with you know three gallons of water, and you have like two Moby albums. You can wash your car. <laughs> clean. Yeah. Was there was there anything uh, lyrically compelling about this song? No. no. He talks. Well, you know, he he's talk, half of it. He's talking to Lord to the Lord supposedly. He says like, where where hold it like now, the, Lord? The Christian Lord or like a like I don't the know owner he, of his. He is the, uh, the Lord of the. the <laughs> he's, a, he's ostensibly a Christian. Uh, you know, he he's he talks about it a lot in his liner notes. 
But he sings like, where hold it now, Lord, you're going to get cut. And then later on, he says, oh, lover, let me take my fall. It's like, it's just words, really. You know, it just never adds up to anything. And, it, you know, for 10 minutes, we just get these words kind of floating around. And I never really get any grasp on what he's trying to say. Somebody needs to buy Moby some better magnetic poetry. Right. <laughs> is, is he a big is he a big Bob Dylan fan? My guess is no. I mean, I, you know, I. Yeah, I, no, I was. That was <laughs> that was a terrible joke I just made. Okay. Yeah. Can we title this this episode uh, sub, Subterranean uh, Homesick Moby? <laughs> well, even that goes somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least you didn't cover Gotta Serve Somebody. I guess that been, we, we should all be thankful for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't give him any ideas. I'm sure he's listening to this, Al. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to wrap my head around like this is his favorite song um, that that he's ever done. You know, I mentioned I'm, I mentioned that band Led Zeppelin earlier. I've heard of them. You know, Robert Plant always claims that Presence is their Never favorite album, and, uh-huh. and everyone everyone goes, "What?" <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and it just makes me wonder: is it, is he just putting us on, or is there something really there that he uh, that he that he loves about this song? Well, isn't that the line you're supposed to say is, you know, my songs are like my children. I love them all equally, or at least I have to say so out loud so they don't get mad. Yeah. <laughs> but I have a personal favorite. I just can't tell you. I kind of like Johnny better than, you know, little Susie. Don't tell little Susie that. Um, I, I will read this. This was in the liner notes of uh, the best of Moby's. Uh, it was called Go, Best of Moby. He says, why didn't I include any songs from Animal Rights on Go, Best of? It's because Animal Rights is my favorite of all the albums that I've ever made. And I like the fact that very few people know about it. I like that it's sort of a hidden record. And he goes on, but basically I'm going, you don't really think that much. <laughs> I don't really believe it. I think that's him doing the, the no, it's special. That's my, my agent said, no way can you put any of that crap on this greatest hit. Or, or, or this is a way to, to boost your catalog sales, I suppose. Or he's suffering from hearing loss or dementia. <laughs> I don't know. I'd say if, if, if his albums are his children, this is the one that would wear hockey equipment, even though it's not on a team. Let's just put it that way. It's <laughs> All of these aspects of this album that we're kind of being critical of are things about Moby that avowed Moby fans love like they are the it's they are not the things wrong with it they are the features the the repetitiveness the fact that it's kind of flat and background music like people who really get into Moby love practically everything that we're shitting on mm-hmm. there's that I guess so but even <laughs> they don't like this album I don't think it's you know it's uh they, it's certainly not the one they reach for let's put it that way when it's time to listen to some Moby so unless they're Moby themselves. <laughs> well, he says that in public. Let's see if he actually grabs it in private. So, I hope this album doesn't get old. Old? Did you say old? Moby farts around on a piano for three minutes. Yes. Right, that's it. Did any of you see the movie Eyes Wide Shut? Sadly, yes. Yeah. Do you remember the recurring piano theme in that? Yes. Bong. They played right. about 10 billion times. Bong. Right. And, and still, Bong. even though it was so 
much simpler and repetitive, it was more interesting than this. Yes. In a in a yeah. big way, I think. Yes. Yep, 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 yep. So Moby Moby can like play the piano though, right? He can. Yeah. He he's obviously yes, learned yeah. Moonlight Sonata at some point. <laughs> at half speed. Yes. Well, that that's what I was saying earlier with uh, uh, it, him adhering to one or two sort of modal areas when it comes to the the piano stuff and never really getting out of it. He's just, you know, if I were to sit down and 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 you know play like a C chord at the piano and then just keep stacking thirds on top of it it wouldn't sound wrong it just wouldn't be very interesting you know and it's like oh there's more like high notes oh now there's more high notes but it's still the same notes they're redundant and texturally it adds like a little bit but you get into diminishing returns really really quickly and with this sort of slow arpeggiated kind of uh, um, piano etude stuff all the good classical composers figured out how to take a really simple idea and build it into something really uh, dramatic and interesting, both harmonically and and you know not so much rhythmically, but definitely dynamically. And he's like, "Nah, it's it's this. That's the idea. That's all. It's gonna. I might do it a little bit higher or a little bit lower, but it's not. Nothing's really gonna clash. You know, it, 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 nothing's gonna add a whole lot of color. It's just gonna be." More. Are, are you are you trying to say he's no Andrew WK? <laughs> yes. I was just about to say that the Andrew WK piano album is much, 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 much more interesting oh, yeah. than any of the piano crap that Moby does. Definitely. Well, when you listen to Layla by Derek and the Dominoes, how often do you turn it off right before that stupid piano part at the end? <laughs> this is a whole song of that piano part at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Also, this was one of the songs that was not included on the UK release, which leads me to my most important question. Why does Moby hate America? <laughs> um, I would, I, like I said, I would go to go to bat for some of the other ones that the anima and alone, I think, are interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, this one was just like, but this is just to make it longer. There's really no reason to put this one in. Here's me doing my piano exercises for three minutes, you know. You couldn't even play it backwards, <laughs> you know, play the tape backwards. It would be more interesting. It would be better. Put it on 45 RPM instead of 33 and a third. Exactly. Like, there's supposed to be some studio trickery to squeeze some more out of these simple ideas. And it's like he's not doing mm -hmm. it. Let's move on to the next one. Ah, yeah. There's nothing to say. It's a living. <laughs> I found this one really strange myself um, in that uh, it's the most lyrical song on the album. Like it's got a melody to it and you can easily picture lyrics being sung to it. And of course, there's no lyrics to it. It's all, you know, it's an instrumental. Mm -hmm. It starts off sounding kind of like an electro pop country song almost. And then nothing happens really for the next six minutes and it just yeah. spools out. You know. I, I think he found the pitch wheel on his electric piano. <laughs> he did. Yay! 
I'm really surprised it's taken me so long to bring this up. I, in fact, I have it written down in my notes. But uh, why does Moby hate the bass guitar? <laughs> There's very little bass going on here, so maybe he doesn't know about it. This one and 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 Justice for All are. Did did Lars have something to do with the the production on <laughs> on this? And just come in and turn that turn that fader all the way down. Hit the mute button on that track. Well, maybe he's not very good at playing the bass. I mean, if he played everything. It's possible, but it's just, it's not there. It's also possible that the drums are so in that, you know, recorded through a, a, a crappy Omni mic in a cement room and just completely, like if there was anything with any kind of real um, punchy bass presence, it would just completely steamroll the drums that it got taken out. But it is not like, You'd think even on some of the songs that are very, very exposed, you'd be able to catch like a little hint of bass frequency. And it, it's like not not there. Every once in a while, you'll hear the, uh, you know, since I'm listening on my in my studio here, uh, every once in a while, you definitely can hear the bass roll in on the uh, on the the, key, the keyboard patches. But even those are pretty infrequently infrequent, especially for ostensibly dance music. Yeah. Who needs bass in the dance music? I mean, we got white stripes. We don't need that. <laughs> but even they hired a bass player on their albums, right? Yeah, and the white stripes had a ton of like, I mean, live live used a whammy pedal, and and in the studio there was bass guitar on exactly. That track. That's like, what I'm saying. Of it. It's very cranked up, and when there's not, there's a ton of kick drum, you know, serving as you know, bass guitar function. Maybe he doesn't own a bass. He he pawned it in order to get that one distortion pedal. <laughs> I, I think that's more likely. You think it's like DS1 or something? Like lots of D... Oh, Proco Rat. Yeah. Lots of Rat. You know what? It's not very buzzy, the the distortion. It, it, that could just be EQ that he applied after the fact, but it's it's very... Uh, yeah. the, the high end on the on the guitar, uh, the distorted guitars is, is very uh, smoothed over. Hmm. It doesn't bite you very hard at all. Not that there's any distorted guitar on this song. No. Yeah. <laughs> is this living? I mean, is this song even alive? It, it came out in, in 1996. There's got to be Big Muff on here somewhere. <laughs> All those leads are... Do we really want to go on to the love song for my mom? Y- yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and to quote my friend, so Jess keeps doing that, huh? Yeah, this <laughs> for the many things she gave. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, violin's back. Yes. I, I'm kind of curious about the what is the function of the violin on this album at all? I, I'm and I'm I'm asking that in a both a musical and a personal sense. Maybe he's just buddies with this guy. Said, "Hey, you're you're in the building. Come over and do some violin for me." Um, it seems like like the violin parts uh, being what they are could easily have been done with a synthesizer, with the keyboard. Yeah, I'm not the, not saying that would make the song better. I'm just saying it could have been done that way. He could so, have saved a lot of money by not paying this guy. Right. So what what is the point? He's throwing his buddy some. Bucks. I don't know. It's like dilettantism almost. It's like you know. It's like look now I'm now I'm performing with a piano and violin and you thought i was just a techno guy but no 
I I contain multitudes. I, uh, yeah. You know, that's what that's kind of the thought I had. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> having having done some some sessions work on on people's music in the past, I've been in on recording sessions where similar ballady kind of things had a cello or strings on them for no fucking reason because the people writing the songs thought they just that was the coolest thing in the world there's a cello on this song and i'm like yeah but it and i'm in the other room with the cellist like trying to arrange something that is not redundant and adds anything to the song and we're just like killing ourselves trying to make it sound like music it takes all your might to not say your song does not deserve a cello (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just like there's not yeah exactly it's exactly that it's like this adds nothing uh Hey, I did um, on one of the I'm I, digging through some of uh, um, on the on the Internet, which is, as we know, quite infallible when it comes to uh, um, musicians stuff. But uh, they do have on a on a, a page going through Moby's equipment, the uh, the DOD FX 69 grunge distortion. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Which, uh, which is pretty famous. Which is pretty famous that uh, um, that era of DOD pedals, they they. Um, there was a picture of one sitting next to Kurt Cobain's uh, pedal board. He never, according to Kurt's tech, he never ever used one, but he owned one. And in a guitar player in, you know, 1994 or something, whenever, you know, when did he off himself? Was it 92? Mm-hmm. 94. Yeah, it was whatever. after I graduated. 94? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it would have been ni- wait, 93 or 94. There's a, there's a guitar player issue where there's a picture of that grunge distortion pedal sitting next to not plugged in to Kurt's pedals and DOD went from selling like a few hundred of those a month to selling something like 8,000 of them a month. Yeah. And it's not a terrible pedal, but they were, they could not manufacture them fast enough. So Scott's theory that he traded his bass guitar for a grunge pedal in the pawn shop is gaining credibility. Dude, you nailed it, Scott. There you go. Expert musicologist Scott Livingston says, <laughs> "Sure, <laughs> that's what was going on." And uh, <laughs> well, we're almost done. One last track. No, say it isn't so. Another bonus track. A season in hell. Now this is a Slayer cover. you i don't know about you but that season in hell sounds kind of nice i mean kind of boring but kind of nice it's yeah no I, it's it is that is i i'm not sure it, it sounds like some kind of sort of easy listening and i don't mean that necessarily derogatorily but it, it sounds like you know that sort of pleasant um synthesizer background kind of music that you'd hear in a variety of places you know yeah, like, with a rain stick and chimes wind chimes like logan was saying maybe it's the heist movie but the buddy died and it's raining outside and you hear the you know well in the, in the movie uh what uh um the, in the movie heat the the climactic uh death scene is a is a moby track and credits it's a better moby song but you know you get the idea you could probably throw 
about half of his catalog in that scene and it would roll just fine. But why did he even call it a season in hell? You know, it's like it just because he couldn't think of any other title because that's certain that was he's being provocative <laughs> or ironic. <laughs> we'll give you an easy title for your review of this album. <laughs> a season in hell. Maybe I don't know. Maybe he's a who who is the poet that wrote? Was it Baudelaire wrote Flowers of Evil? Maybe he was trying to be poetic. Hmm. He's far more poetic on the songs without lyrics which I do notice that he ends the album with four instrumentals in a row, which seems like a, a poor, poor choice. Also, I want you to think back to the very beginning of this album. Remember that very first song? How does it go? Yeah. Are you sure it's not just this song again? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure, but I'm, I'm not, not sure. sure. <laughs> I'm not playing back to back. It may just be the same song played twice. You just can't remember it after a whole, you know, 70 minutes of Moby in your ear. You know, I, I don't I don't want to test the theory. I want to stay in the dark. There you go. <laughs> well, we've come so far. Listeners at home, write us in and tell us if they're, in fact, the same song. <laughs> this album reminds me of a, a Mighty Boosh uh, scene where uh, the one character is trying to sell the other on uh, a jazz funk fusion and they're riding in a car and he puts a cassette tape in and it starts doing some funky slap envelope filter bass thing. And, you know, the one guy's like, yeah, I don't get it. And he's like, no, 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 it gets really good. And he fast forwards the tape and it's exactly the same thing playing and fast forwards it some more, takes it out, turns the tape over. It's the same thing. So it just keeps like, doing that. <laughs> it so just keeps changed. doing that, huh? He's like, but no, 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 but wait, wait, it gets really good. Yeah. So, um. That's the album. Um, I'm changed. Yeah. And now I, I remember listening to this album front to back. Uh, we had to pick our favorite albums of 97. And I remember we had to sit through, you know, we had a bunch of CDs that we were supposed to listen to from the from that period. I remember, I think I listened to this right after Marcy Playground. It was a really kind of a, a bit of a slog right there. Um, and uh, yeah. Um, Sex and candy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Exactly. So yeah, it was I and I remember just going, Oh, that's yeah. And then I put it away and I don't think I'd listen to it again after that. That was my last listen of this album. So when you first approached me about doing this thing, I was like, Oh, so like Moby's Animal Rights. <laughs> oh, it is helpful that the to know that this last song I assume and all the other electronica kind of stuff was not on the original UK release. Yeah. So so that's a it's kind of I mean it's kind of I wonder I just wonder how us, the four of us, would receive this if we had only the UK release. I wonder I wonder what our reactions, you know, how much different our reactions would be. Honestly, I don't think it would be that different because I think some of the electronic diff- uh, electronic bits uh, were better as interludes than the piano and violin stuff. Because that, I thought, was even more of a, like, what is this doing here kind of thing. Uh, I mean, I don't think the electronic stuff was necessarily all that more interesting, but at least sounded a little more fitting with the rock stuff around it. So if this is Moby trying to do rock, quote unquote, what does Moby think rock sounds like? And where did he get that idea? I don't know if 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 I had to pick kind of guess what's going on here. This is Moby doing everything that Moby is not known for. Except, you know, until they put the electronic stuff back in anyway, you know, he's not known for piano and violin stuff. He's not known for covering, you know, post-punk songs from the 80s. He's not known for singing about, you know, how he has no soul and about, you know, have you been in my ozone? This is stuff he hasn't done. And this is almost like a clearinghouse of like stuff he hadn't tried yet. 
and uh, most of it, I, from what I can tell, he did not try again. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was the motivation? Was it, you know, he wasn't being successful enough in the electronica, so he was like, well, if you don't like this, let me give you one of everything else I can do and see if any of the, he's just throwing stuff at the wall, see if any of it hits commercially, or is he just you know, getting it out of his system. I don't know. Again, a guess, but uh, I'd say, you know, alternative rock was a thing when he started recording it. And it still was a little afterwards. You know, he didn't know Electronica was going to blow up probably when he first plugged in his distortion pedal and started recording. Uh, and he was like, oh, you know, I could probably do an, an alternative rock album. You know, I've got a recording contract. I was in a punk band. So let's, let's, let's give this a go. And, you know, it, had it come out at any other time, I don't think it would necessarily be good, but it would be more forgivable. Yeah. The fact that it happened just at the time when an electronic album would have been huge for him makes it extra, yeah. extra, you know, extra um, notable in his discography. Misguided, to say the least. Right. Like I was saying before, like the kind of homegrown I recorded this in my garage or my bedroom one man band kind of thing had already happened it was kind of winding down um like you know uh they might be giants and we both have nasty bands full of ringers at this mm -hmm. point they've kind of moved past that Lou Barlow's doing different stuff Beck has a big crazy like live band with ridiculous production values and stuff like that now this is uh, you know, kind of pass a, and so and and you're absolutely right. Had you released play instead of this, it would have been probably just as huge or bigger than it it was a few, few years later, a year later, whenever it came out. And so it's like he kind of missed the mark. Do we know where did where did he grow up and when was he born? When was he born? Um, he he was a, he was a New York kid at heart. I know that. Uh, let me look this up real quick. Hold on. Uh, okay. He was born in Manhattan, in fact, uh, in uh, Harlem. 1965. 65. So, yeah, so he's essentially a little bit older, but he's my age, um, which is, which is, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I got to listen to more of his stuff, I guess. Uh, I just, he should have more influences on this album than he does. Yeah. yeah. He does seem very insular. I would say for you, a quick listen to play would give you everything you need to know, at least a, yeah. a really quick kind of primer on yeah. what he's yeah, all yeah. about. I, I just think he, he would have grown up in a, a an environment that, uh, and he, he was old enough that there would have been just, you know, un, you know, just piles and piles of fantastic rock music. If he wanted to make a rock album, he, he had plenty of access to information. Um, so, so, you know, I don't know if he was a late bloomer, if he it was always like stuck in a room, you know, practicing the piano or or he, he uh, never went to clubs, you know, to see rock bands. Um, maybe he did all of those things. It just it just can't tell. I can't hear it on this album at all. Yeah, because he would have been 12 in 1977. So, you know, the prime age to get into, you know, Kiss or the Talking Heads or, you know, the Sex Pistols or right. anything that would not work here right exactly yeah so what we're saying is if you like alternative rock don't listen to this and if you like moby don't listen to this so um is there anything else we need to say but it's moby's favorite album but if you put it on in the background it's very ignorable there you go so if your white noise machine is broken 
it's a vaguely interesting uh, kind of lesson in um, in his like in an album coming out at absolutely the wrong time, you know. Yeah. And yeah. it's wor- it's it's perhaps worth like checking out briefly yeah. just to kind of go, oh, really? He did that, you know. But other than that, I I don't know who this album is for. It's a lesson: be true to yourself. Do what you're supposed to do. Don't go following trends. Moby says his name supposedly stands for Mission Objective Be Yourself. Well, he was not himself here. (laughs) He was certainly not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess that will probably wrap it up for this week. Is there anything you want to plug, Alf? Um, I know, you know, it's hard to plug anything these days. Uh, Yeah, so actually I I do more stuff now than I guess I, I did before. Um, I still have my radio shows every Sunday night from 8 until uh, midnight. Uh, from 8 till 9, I do Adventure University, which is all brand new music. 9 to 10 is Locals Only, which is all Colorado artists. And then 10 to uh, midnight is the retro show, so it's mainly 80s stuff. I do do some 90s, little 70s in there as well. In addition, I do Story Time with Alf, which every, uh, every uh, evening at 7.30, I've just been uh, reading a story out loud. That's just me kind of trying to throw something positive out there. I've been reading fairy tales. I've been reading uh, uh, part of the Chronicles of Narnia and stuff like that. Uh, it's just something kind of simple and positive to put out there at a time when there might not be enough of it. Does Capital and the original German? And I, I mean, I don't know. Anyone else have anything to plug? We're still alive. We're still on the internet. Um, when we can leave our houses again, maybe we'll play shows. Who knows? Uh I guess we do ask you to take a minute to go into whatever podcasting application you are currently using and uh, rate us and write us a review and let us know that we're not talking to ourselves and uh, that we're not completely crazy. And if you have any ideas for other albums we could cover, send us an email at uh, detoursandoutliers at gmail.com. And otherwise, tune in next week when we try and figure out who this artist is. I gotta find something just to pass the time Is there anything better left for me to do? What's